This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Welcome to Mic Drop. This is yours truly, Mike Ritland, and this is my first inaugural podcast. I want to take a second to uh, kind of talk about the the platform, if you will, uh, as to how this is going to work. Um, you know, with with social media and, and uh, the online presence that exists, what this is is a raw, unfiltered uh, platform that's going to really give myself and anybody that joins me on this podcast a an ability to to say whatever they want, uh, talk about whatever they want, uh, share whatever opinions they have, uh, and not have to hide behind uh, anything. Frankly. So if uh, for those of you that, that uh, keep track of what I'm doing, uh, you have kids, uh, people that are sensitive to uh, swearing or uh, edgy topics that you don't want them to hear, now would be a really good fucking time to turn it off. So uh, that is, that is the, the goal. That is the, the premise of, of how this is going to work. And, uh, and this is how we're going to do it here. So What's important for everybody to understand is that, uh, you know, these, these topics that we're going to talk about are going to host, uh, are going to be a, a whole host of topics rather from that span from, uh, you know, in, anything that I'm interested in to current events, uh, you know, different things in the news that, that people are talking about, uh, which we're going to get into today. Uh, really anything that, that, uh, that piques everybody's interest out there and, and that people want to hear about. Uh, and so we're going to we're going to get into that now uh, as far as today goes i have a uh, a very distinguished guest with me that uh, somebody that i've known for uh, 20 years um, this is a gentleman that uh, frankly is one of the best guys i know uh, and i'm honored to have him on the podcast today he is a retired navy seal uh, he is a new york times best selling author of uh, several different books one of which is 100 deadly skills uh, the, the first uh, 
book. And then the second one is 100 Deadly Skills of Survival Edition. Um, he is the Escape the Wolf uh, author and creator in terms of a company that provides uh, different uh, security protocols and, and uh, procedural training uh, for corporations all over the world. Uh, the creator of The Violent Nomad. Uh, he is a, a partner in the Shadow Systems Corporation uh, gun manufacturer. Um, frankly, he's an overall covert operative badass and one hell of a good kisser. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show, Clint Emerson. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good, buddy. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, it's awesome to be here. It's, uh, it's always good to be uh, the first with anybody because, you know, it makes you feel really good. It's yeah. a well, you you, uh, you have officially popped my cherry in terms of yeah. running a podcast, which uh, <clears throat> it's not the first time you've done that, which we'll we'll get into here in a no, minute. Not at all. But uh, you know, Clint and I just uh, for a little bit of backstory, we served at SEAL Team Three together. We did uh, a couple platoons. We were in Iraq together, um, and uh, he was he was my corpsman uh, for both of those platoons, along with with Glenn for, for both of them. So both of them have some pretty interesting stories that, uh, we're going to, we're going to delve into here in a minute. But, um, what, uh, what I'm going to ask is that, uh, you just kind of tell me who is Clint Emerson. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, best, but for your listeners, I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Texas kid, grew up here in the Dallas area and then went overseas in the second grade, grew up in, uh, Abcake, Saudi Arabia, Abcake houses, one of the largest refineries in the world for the oil that we use every day. Hung out there until I was, uh, well, high school. Um, grew a uh, pretty in-depth hatred for the culture and the people. <laughs> and then, uh, ironically enough, spent the rest of my life uh, harassing and uh, fucking with people from uh, that, that region of the world. Um, SEAL Team 3, the NSA, and then over to uh, Dev Group. And uh, that gave me my 20, 20, yeah, 20, almost 21 years in the Navy. And then now here I sit with you. And what, uh, you know, I'm curious, and I know the listeners are too, in terms of the the upbringing in Saudi Arabia, both uh, culturally, politically, um, you know, what what was that like? And what what do you think, uh, or how big of an impact, rather, do you think that that had on you joining the Navy slash uh, you know, getting your hands dirty for Uncle Sam for 20 plus years. What what role do you think that played? Uh, you know, it's split. <clears throat> when I was there and as a kid and you see how that culture operates and uh, the hatred that they have for Westerners or Christians or Jews, um, you know, that tends to wear on you and grate on you. When you see your parents get treated a certain way or you see your friends get treated a certain way, um, it's, it makes a big impression when you're a kid, you know, there's nothing, there's no way of getting around that. Of course, now as an adult, I look on all that culture. I'm like, whatever, that's your own shit. Just don't bring it here, you know, leave it over there. I don't really care what they do. Um, but the other half of that was just a natural, like love for risk. Um, you know, I still have it to this day. So you talk about living in a country where, you know, they have religious police and they have their regular police and, um, and then of course, you know, a lot of, uh, military, um, parts and pieces, but us as kids like thrived off causing trouble and getting in trouble over there, usually fucking with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then here we go, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years later, and now I'm in the Navy fucking with them again. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of, a, but it's a combination of really not caring too much for the culture, but at the same time, enjoying risk. And you put those two together, 
um, that could either take you down a path of being a criminal or it could, you know, put you in the Navy. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe a little bit of both in your case. Yeah, exactly. Were, were there, uh, were there any times when you were over there where you actually got caught fucking with people or, or got in trouble for doing anything that you weren't? No. To? And that's kind of been the whole premise, right? It's like, don't get caught. I've been living that my whole life. It's, yeah. uh, it's really, if it, I, you know, little sayings we all have in our head that play you know one of them is if you're not cheating you're not trying we've heard that now you can't even say it i don't think in nsw you know without someone getting upset with the new ethos and everything but um and then the other one was uh you know if you don't get caught then it ain't illegal Mm -hmm. (laughs) so you know it's uh the other piece of the equation so just never get caught and uh you know keep pushing the limits i mean unquestionably there's some uh, some foreshadowing with you know the the experiences you had there and, and what you're doing and what what you ended up doing later was there was there ever a time growing up where it was kind of like a light switch moment for you of deciding you know what i this is what i want to do for a living like was there a distinguishing moment that, that that happened yeah i mean when i was i was probably 10 years old traveling through um when you live in saudi you can't stay there if you're if your parents are employed there you the saudis are weird you can't be in the country for a full year at a time they make you leave to go renew your visa and so we were traveling back to the States and uh, stopped through Germany. We're in Frankfurt airport. And I went up to this, I went up to the bar to get a Coke or whatever. And there was a guy sitting there this dude's got tats and he looked pretty cool. And of course I'm a curious kid. So I'm asking a lot of questions. One of which was like, well, what's that on your arm? And he says, it's a trident. And I'm like, what's a trident? And he's like, it's a symbol. I'm like, wait, what's, what's it a symbol of? And he's, uh, he's like, we're, where are you from kid? I'm like, Oh, I'm, you know, from the States by living, you know, living Saudi, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well then you'll relate. Remember when we, uh, dropped those bombs in Libya? I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember. Cause I was the color guard for at the time, vice president George Bush, you know, his standing American flag while he stood behind a podium and told, uh, all the Aramco employees that, Hey, you know, if anything happens, all you Americans living in Saudi are going to be the first target. So what we're going to do is put some C-130s out here. And if things get a little rough here in the next couple of months, you guys can just jump on those birds and we'll take care of you. Um, and then later we come to find out, you know, we had these B-111s that came in over Libya, nice and low, dropped bombs and then pulled out. So this guy goes on to tell me that story. Like, yeah, and the reason they, we, uh, the, bomb, the bombers had to come in super low uh, to reduce the amount of collateral damage. And he's like, yeah, me and my buddies, our job was to go in and take out the anti-aircraft guns. And I said, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, we sneak in at night and we kill everybody who's manning these things. And then we blow it up and then we leave into the darkness. And I was like, that is pretty cool. That's what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah. All the way up to that point, you know, I wanted to be a ninja, you know, but then, you know, you find out you kill someone as a ninja. It's called murder. Yeah. But if you kill someone as a seal, it's called you're a hero. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you know, you pick the right side of the line and yeah. go that route. That's a pretty furry, uh, fuzzy fucking line now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Plus, I don't, I don't know how many, uh, I don't know how many companies are, are out there trying to hire ninjas, you know? No, but, well, you know, yeah. yeah. But, um, so, <clears throat> so once you decided that, uh, so I'm assuming that that guy then had, had a, a you know, that, that light switch aha moment oh, yeah. of impact of, of making you want to join up. So, uh, what, uh, what year did you come in? That was uh 94, 94. <clears throat> and it was right out of high school, right? No, I went to school for a couple of years and then, uh, 
my dad made me go all year round. So I was, I basically racked up equivalent to three and a half years worth of college. Yeah. Knowing I could do the last semester later and I was burnt out because I was going, you know, full time, full loads in the summer and all, you know, the two semesters. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're, I mean, for, for the listeners, I, I obviously know that your, your specialty lies in, in being a, a corpsman as you've uh, hooked me up a number of times, but, uh, was that something that, that you wanted to get into right out of the gate or was it, was it kind of like, well, this is open and they need people. So I'm going to, I'm going to give that a shot or what? No, I had a genuine interest. I mean, when I was in school, I was kind of going the, you know, sports medicine route and, uh, and, and growing up overseas, the only other thing there was to do was scouting. So being in, you know, troop 256 in Abcake, Saudi Arabia, you know, I, you do the, all the different merit badges that relate to medicine and I, you know, I really enjoyed those out of probably all of the others. And, um, and then I would spend two weeks at this place called Camp Freedom in Germany, where you basically lived on your own and out in the woods. And it was run by some SF guys, <clears throat> really cool stuff, but it got it. They got into trauma medicine and stuff like that during, during those time periods. So I already had a knack for it, already had some pretty decent education on it. So yeah, picking Corman route was, was also in your mind, you're going, well, if I break, in some form or fashion in buds, at least I'm going into a job in the Navy that I'm actually interested in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I did the same thing. I actually, uh, I wanted to be a corpsman. Uh, I mean, I had the same kind of interest. Um, and, but when I went to sign up back then, it was, uh, you know, it was in 96 and there was a dive fair program, mm-hmm. which I didn't, didn't, wasn't real keen on. Cause it was like, we can either guarantee you a spot at buds or we can guarantee you, uh, you know, whatever a school you want. And I, same thing. It's like, well, I need some kind of fucking backup plan. Like if I get hurt or don't <laughs> yeah. make it or whatever. So I, I, you know, I wanted to do corpsman. They're like, yeah, we got too many fucking corpsman, you know, pick something else, you know? So I, I ended up with, uh, with Intel specialists for the same thing. Like, of course, you know, my dumb ass at the time, I'm thinking, whoa, intelligence specialist, like it's, you know, James Bond and fucking sneaking around and, mm-hmm. it, and it couldn't have been further from that. But, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, I went went and did that and then went to buds anyway. But, um, so, you know, for the listeners then, so you, you go through buds, walk us through kind of your, your career, uh, just from a, from a highlight standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Buds class 203, um, started with my class, finished with my class. You and I both know what that means. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a rare, deal. yeah, it's a rare piece of, uh, of NSW when a guy starts and finishes. So with the same class, um, then graduated, went to 18 Delta short course and the short course at the time it was in San Antonio. We were the last class to uh, run there out of Fort Sam Houston. Um, you know, and you, that's back when you still had Escherman like teaching how to, uh, you know, do all these, you know, different traumatic scenarios. And that's the guy, the Escherman chess seal. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> then, uh, was with the one liners, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was pretty good and raw and, uh, you know, he, I don't think he realized how funny he was, yeah. but he's a funny guy. Yeah. Um, then from there went to jump school, which, you know, 30 days in Fort Benning or whatever, jumping out of a plane with a bunch of morons. And then, uh, you get done with that, went to seal team three, um, checked in at the time you did STT in house. Um, that was off and on for frick. It seemed like six, seven, eight months, maybe, you know, it was kind mm-hmm. of organized, but dis disorganized yeah. <laughs> the whole STT <laughs> days. And then, um, which is seal like advanced training. Uh, it's also back when you still had to earn your trident from your peers. So, you know, you, you, uh, do these, these boards, um, the chief's board, which is when you sit in front of all of the team's chiefs and they get to hammer you with questions, seeing if, uh, you know, your shit. 
And then, um, then you do walkthroughs. And so you go around all the different departments, diving, ordnance, you know, and you got to put together a Draeger, take it apart, show that you know how the thing works. Same with weapons. You got to take all the ap weapons apart, put them back together. And then you go to air and you kind of go through all the air stuff. And then, uh, yeah. And then, and then once you kind of get through that, then it's on your first platoon to decide whether or not you've earned your trident. And, uh, my first platoon, you know, it was me and, uh, Justin Oyos. And so, uh, yeah, we were in together and, uh, we got our big hazing, which was cool. You know, I think hazing is appropriate, um, for good reasons, not for bad. Fuck. And, I think it's necessary. Yeah. It puts people in check and it lots, it lets you know that the guys love you. I mean, if you don't get, if you go through a career and you never got hazed and nobody likes you, nobody gives a shit about you. Yeah. That and, you know, pain <clears throat> is a universal language. It is. Everything I understand. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or for us, it was getting stripped down butt naked, me yeah. and Justin, right? And then they put us in the 69 position, tape my head. My face was taped to his balls. His <laughs> face was taped to my balls. Uh, our noses extended into each other's butthole. And then, uh, you know, then they, then they went on to make it a little, a little more enticing, right? So here we are. How does are, it get more enticing than that? Well, you, you take the mini blasting machine, right? So everyone knows the mini blasting machine. If you don't, it's a way of setting off ordinance with electrical charge. And it's a hand-cranked device, right? And then it sends out this nice charge. Well, if you have two leads on the end that are kind of open, um, and if you stick them on Justin's ass, and then you stick them on my ass, two separate mini blasting machines, now you can make our asses like clench together in the tightest format possible while our faces are in there. Yeah. And it's uh, so it was me, 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 and then all of a sudden, Justin's ass is clamping down on my face. And it was probably one of the more unique experiences I've had. But the scary part of this hazing, all right, this was out at Shaw's. So, you know, Shaw's has that one swing pull. It's dead winter, cold as fuck. And these guys are, you know, they've probably been drinking more than they should have. Allegedly. <clears throat> yes. And that we're right next to the swimming pool that has that winter cover on it, right? Mm -hmm. And these guys, after they're done shoving shit up our ass, shocking us and everything else, they start, they, they grab us and they're like, let's throw them in the pool. <laughs> With the cover on. And, and me and Justin, both Cormans, and we see the cover. And, you know, that, as soon as you roll, you know, how many drownings because of that, right? People, kids falling into a pool during winter. So I'm sitting here looking at this, you know, and I got probably a gag ball stuffed in my mouth. Going, hey, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. And we're saying Corman, knowing that this is bad. Yeah. Like you chunk us in there. We're not this. This is yeah. this. <laughs> you go to the bottom for the rest. Yeah, of Yeah, it might not work out as well as it did for Houdini. But, yeah. you know, anyway, they uh, somebody was smart in the crew. was like, no, don't do that. They might drown. And we're like, thank God. And uh, yeah, it kind of went on a little bit longer after that with some uh, spray glue and some you know, 14 gauge catheters, but you know, all right. it's all part of being uh, indoctrinated into uh, the world's biggest brotherhood. Right. Well, and, and I mean, to me, the, the, the fact that that's one of the highlights from being at seal team three tells you a lot, a lot about uh, how, how important yeah. it is. It is. It is. It's a, it's a fucking useful tool. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah. You either correct or you're gone. Yeah. Correct yourself or get out of here. Yep. So, so we did two platoons at, at three together. And then from, uh, from there, uh, we're, what, uh, what can you tell us about after you left there? Yeah. So did some deployments. Um, I also hung out training cell from time to time between deployments. Uh, then after that, um, let's see, we got back from Iraq and yeah, we were all disgruntled. Remember that? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, we had some leadership issues going on. So everybody was jumping boat out of seal team three. 
Um, I, I actually was asked to screen for this program. I had no idea what it was. I went over to Warcom. There was probably 60 other team guys, and uh, we went into a room. And it was kind of funny. It was like this big conference room, big table, a whole bunch of people sitting around that table, not one person in uniform. And I'm in my, uh, whatever it was, dress blues or whatever. And I sit down and, <clears throat> you know, they started asking these probing questions, you know, well, where are you from? Who are you? Kind of like, kind of like what you're doing to me right now. Yeah. You're and, welcome. uh, the difference was, is they, they hand me this blank sheet of paper and they're like, we want you to draw the quarter deck. <laughs> I'm like, huh? And they're like, yeah, sketch the quarter deck. You have one minute ready. Go. My like, God, my memory sucks. So I, you know, I'm drawing it and this and that. And I put the little cardinal bearing, you know, a little North arrow and do the best I can. I slide across the table. They all look at it. And they're like, all right, now uh, go ahead and turn around in your chair. I turn around my chair and they're like, name everybody in the room that introduced themselves to you when you first came in. I was like, oh God. So I'm like, uh, Frank, John, 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 maybe a Bob, Bob. You know, so yeah, I kind of pull it off somehow, some way I name all these people. And, uh, and then they turn back around and they gave me some screwy, like, it's like riddles and quizzes and all kinds of shit. It's like dude. the fucking voice military <laughs> edition. <laughs> yeah. And so then they're like, do you know what you're doing here? I'm like, eh, not really. And they're like, oh, all right. So this is a, uh, you know, a special program or taking things to the next level in naval special warfare. And they kind of gave me a pitch that uh, was very general, but yet has a certain amount of sexiness and mystique to it that made me go, yeah, I'll, I'll check this shit out. Yeah. Why not? Right. Fucking and, Jason uh, <clears throat> Yeah, the big the big piece was, hey, you will not make rank the way that everyone else does. You know, this is not part of the career ladder that everyone else is used to. You might be stalled in your uh, in your progression through the ranks because what you might be doing will absolutely have nothing to do with uh, really what you've been doing. You yeah. know, so checking the boxes. Yeah, there was no there was no boxes to check. It was totally separate. So anyway. I was like, sure. So um, me and another guy ended up getting selected out of that 60. And then we, uh, we built a program and also deployed the program off and on. You know, it was, it was really Admiral Callan. It was his baby. And he was like, hey, just go and figure this out. So before you knew it, I'm never wearing a uniform the rest of my career from that point on. And then uh, I was always deploying, you know, civilian clothes and looking like a business casual and operating in different environments all over the globe. Um, most of which was outside the theaters of war and you couldn't have asked for a better job. So I had some successes when I was there, uh, at this, at this place at Warcom. And then those successes led to, led to go into the NSA. I had some successes there that led to, uh, the guys at dev group coming up and saying, Hey, all these things you're doing up here, we want you to do for us. So I was like, sure. So I went down to, uh, Virginia beach and started doing the same exact stuff down there for them. And, uh, you know, it was uh, solo in nature, um, you know, kind of pushed the realm of uh, covert and clandestine stuff. And um, it was very unique and one of a kind events that certainly made the end of the career probably the most exciting, entertaining, uh, risky. I mean, adrenaline. I mean, you name it. Fulfilling. Yes, without a doubt. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, to me, the, the, the cool part about that is, uh, you know, at least for me, and I think I can speak for probably most uh, prospective frogmen out there that are thinking of, of joining up or, or any, you know, any, any of us that ha that have and did it, is it like that, that, uh, career path kind of, uh, exemplifies what we all thought we were getting into, yeah. you know, uh, which is, is fucking great that, you know, for, for at least you and, and a handful of other guys, you actually got that. 
you know, because for, for most of us, it's like, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I found frustrating, I guess, is that the job is about like the, the brochure is about 10% of the fucking job, you know, <laughs> like man. 90% of it's laying in the fucking mud and yeah. building pallets and fucking unloading trucks and yeah. load and unload load yeah. and unload some more, you know, and just a bunch of shit that, yeah. uh, that just plain fucking sucks, you know, but, um, right. But yeah, I mean, to to me, you know, here and here and that's fucking great. I, I love all the fucking stories that come out of that. It's it's fantastic. But uh, so you ended up doing twenty, just over twenty years. Yeah, twenty and some change, and yeah, it was yeah. A, yeah, yeah, good to go. That's no, uh, that's fucking fucking great. Uh, before we move on to some of the kind of the things that you got going on now, I wanted to. I'm going to share one story, and then I'd ask you to do the same. Is that uh, the the one story that I know we've we've touched on before, but. Uh, that people ask about and so we're gonna we're gonna get a little more in depth in it is that the the you know with 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 him clint being the corpsman um you know one thing that's that's imperative to understand is that as a seal platoon like you deploy as a, a 16 man or 32 man contingent and and that's it like a lot of times you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere uh with with no access to to any type of health care or or any health care that you'd fucking trust and uh, and so regularly, our corpsmen uh, are literally saving guys' lives. And um, you know, any any type of problem you run into, whether it's it burns when I piss, or uh, you know, my eye is swollen shut, or I got bit by some crazy ass bug, or mm-hmm. or in my case, I hadn't shit right in a week. Uh, and yeah. we're we're in uh, Singapore of all places, and uh, doing some cross training with some of their guys. And I hadn't shit in like a week, and. Um, so I, I come up to Clint and I, I'm, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm backed up like nobody's fucking business. I don't know what to do, man. It's like it's getting to the point where I, I don't feel well. And uh, so Clint being the, the stand up guy that he is says, all right, why don't you come over to my hotel room? So I go over there and uh, he's he's standing there with fucking gloves on waiting. And uh, so, yeah, so I come in and uh, lo and behold, I, uh, you know, drop trow and, and Clint goes to work. And, uh, I think at, at some point somebody had walked in the room. I don't know if it was Shane or somebody came in and, you know, Clint looks like a, an Amish mechanic with his hand up a horse's ass, like, <laughs> you know, three knuckles deep trying to, trying to figure out what the fuck's wrong with me. And, uh, and long story short, uh, ends up, you know, getting me, getting me fixed up and, uh, just, you know, one more ridiculous example of, uh, <laughs> some of the shit that you guys have to go through. But, yeah, uh, literally. I, yeah, literally. The uh, <clears throat> you know what I'm curious of is is uh, for, you know is there any any kind of standout story like that whether it's uh, whether it has shit to do with me or not but just like some crazy corpsman or operational story that uh, that you want to share that that sticks out in your mind. Yeah, I think down the same vein, it's uh, we you know checking prostates and all that. It's kind of the uh, the easy part, right? I mean, and, and it all starts with the training. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah. Woohoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Ch-ch-ch-chum. 
Chumba Casino has over 100 casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. And most people don't know, I mean, the the schools we go through is uh, literally, if you take all of the trauma medicine out there that is taught in medical school, um, and then mostly learned when they do their residencies, that is what we get. We get like all of that hands-on stuff without the, without so much of the science. That four years of medical school, they learn a lot of science, but they really don't learn what to do until they do the residency. And so we, we kind of did it in reverse. You get all the hands-on stuff and worry about science later. Um, Sounds so, like the U.S. government. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> and that's the uh, Special Operations Medical School, and that's out at Fort Bragg. And so we use each other as guinea pigs pretty regularly and it makes you uh kind of numb to what what is gross to most or disgusting or oh my god you're gonna stick your fingers up mike's ass if you remember right i actually called the platoon and said hey everybody come to my room (laughs) so that you had a proper audience as you spread your butt cheeks apart in my hotel room there's really only one thing i was paying attention to (laughs) at at that point but yeah 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 not getting a boner right well that's that's half of it um So, yeah, out there you're you're literally sitting in class one minute, learning, you know, with your with your camis on and normal school and taking notes, and then the next one's like these army instructors, like, all right, now stand up and uh, to the guy to your left of you and pull your pants down. Yeah. Okay, now fondle his balls. <laughs> Sounds like a regular Friday yeah, night. As you as you manipulate his testicles, you're looking for <laughs> nodes. Is it hard? Is it soft? Does it feel like the tip of your nose? And yeah. anyway, and then before you know it, you're you're all bent over, sticking fingers up each other's asses. <laughs> going to prostate feels like the end of your nose, and then you touch your nose, and you touch the prostate, and touch your nose, and and then you're doing, uh, oh, and Foley catheters, let me tell you. So, you know, it's like lay down on the table, get some iodine, you know, and you basically use these swabs and go in a circular motion around the head of the penis. And then you take a 32 French. Have you ever seen a 32 French? It's like a straw. No, but you have my, yeah. my interest. <laughs> <laughs> you have the straw and you're basically sticking this in Jesus to Christ. your pee hole. And then it goes all the way into your bladder. And then you use a, you know, a syringe with some saline to fill up a bulb at the end. And then you pull back on it to make sure it's in the bladder. Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah, that's you guys the kind are... of stuff you do on each other, which makes it a lot easier for me to do it to you when it's time. So you guys were doing this to each other. Yeah. And is there uh I mean, you know, like are some guys like purposely trying to fuck each other oh, yeah. or like, oh, yeah. I'm going to make this fucking hurt. Well, even the instructors are sick and twisted. I mean, all corner, <laughs> all medics, or anybody in the medical profession are yeah. sick and twisted. Yeah. I mean, the comments, I'm sure will concur that on this podcast yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. No, yeah. I know it. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the shit like that is, uh, I mean, it's, it's only, only in the military. Do you, do you do the, uh, the full encompassing you know, shit like that, you know, and, and go to war with the same guys and, yeah. and, you know, live on submarines and it's just, uh, yeah, it's nuts. The, the different shit you go through, but all right. So everybody can understand then, you know, Clint, uh, in terms of subject matter expertise, dude's a fucking badass. Uh, he's been all over the world, uh, probably saved your ass that's listening right now, at least half a dozen times. <laughs> and, uh, we're going to move on to some, uh, some meat and potatoes of, 
basically what uh, what these books are about and kind of what your where your expertise has been been applied to uh, civilian corporations and one of the things that i think uh, that i i really like to to see that you're doing is is making that transition out of the military and, and using uh you know things that skill sets and, and different knowledge real world knowledge that you've attained uh over you know the last 20 plus years uh, but how to how to actually apply that to everyday life, whether it's a, a corporation or a family, a household, schools, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but being smart about it, obviously, I mean, operational security is what it is. And, and it's uh, on the forefront of, of any former operator's mind in terms of, you know, what what's OK to say versus what not. And I, I think you've done a, you've done a really, really uh, excellent job of, of making that transition. So um, I'm going to throw a couple of fucking oddball questions at you uh, sure. mixed in here, but, uh, what does your morning routine look like? Oh yeah. Um, well I'm kind of an early riser, so I get up, uh, usually five and I'll do, uh, some kind of, uh, some, something that some eat something, drink something that will help me have the energy to do my workouts. And, uh, so usually I'm, I'm out the door by five thirty, five forty-five. I go to boxing like there, if you see right here, I took a good one this morning, right here in the fucking mouth. But um, so I'll go down. Nick, nickel for every time you said that. Yeah. Huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Jesus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I took one in the mouth today. But uh, yeah, I go down, I box for about an hour and a half. You know, yeah. you, and then uh, when I'm done with that, I come rush back, shower, and then try to get. I feel like I get all that stuff done early so that I still have a full work day, and so yeah. my the rest of my day really is. Um, broken into hour segments, you know, and I try to dedicate days, you know, like Mondays will be like, all right, I'm gonna do all hundred deadly skill book related stuff, you know, and then Tuesdays will be escape the wolf corporate clients. Um, but ultimately as soon as that workout's done, then I'm, uh, then I'm hitting, you know, the administrative side of life, you know, so phone calls, emails, uh, and then of course I'm doing podcasts, uh, you know, at least a couple times a week these days. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good shit. I know, I know for, for me and uh, a lot of listeners out there that are already familiar with Clint, you've seen his stuff on uh, military.com and some of the different YouTube videos he's done. One of the things that I think uh, that I, I like what you're doing and, and what I want to pass on to the listeners is uh, some realistic fitness tips um, for, you know, maintaining that violent nomad status, you know, the, the yeah. no bullshit. Like, cause I think a lot of times people get wrapped up into the, you know, into the shake weight fucking globo gym, like let's do, you know, chest and tries today and we're working calves and traps tomorrow. Like, you know, these finishing exercises, like you're a fucking bodybuilder when the reality of it is most of us don't have that kind of time. It's not our job to dedicate to looking like a, like a fucking bodybuilder. Right. Uh, you know, what, what, what can you kind of break down for your average listener in terms of, of the best way in, in terms of getting bang for your buck? Uh, maintaining a level of fitness that's that's appropriate for functional fucking utility. Yeah, and that's what I'm all about. The violent nomad concept really is being more self-reliant, self-rescue oriented. And the first step in being self-reliant, self-rescue is fitness, right? Human performance, making sure you can handle yourself and maybe your loved ones in a time of a crisis. So, um, you know, I, that's my afternoon, right? So I'll box in the mornings and then my afternoon is a, a violent nomad workout of some sort, which is a push a push exercise, a pull exercise, 
some kind of rotation, but usually ends up being strikes of some sort, because that is you, if you're doing strike, if you're striking, whether it's with your legs, your arms, your elbows, whatever it is, you, if you're doing it right, then you're, you're leveraging your core. And so that's the goal. Um, and of course the fourth piece of the violent nomad push, pull rotation slash strike along with sprints so that you've got the lungs and the heart to push after you've done those types of things. And then you rotate it, you basically do it, you know, up to five times and you just change your pull, you change your push, you change that strike or rotation. Um, and you can increase or decrease, you know, the distance on your sprints. Um, so my, my day is basically like boxing morning, something violent nomad ish, violent nomad ish in the afternoons. And then the next day I'll just do more of a long cardio. It's kind of a rest day, but you know, it's like a long run. Um, or some kind of hit, you know, cross training type thing. And then the next day I'm doing the same thing, box, violent nomad, and then a kind of a day off and every other day, but doing two a days every other day. And it seems to, uh, for me, that's what I like. It's yeah. Now, so are you paying attention to, you know, heart rate type training or is it, is it more performance based? You know, I have in the past, I've definitely been it comes and goes, right? I mean, we try different things and, but ultimately I don't, I don't, I, I listen to my body, um, without really paying attention to heart rate or getting into the science of it. I used to do all that stuff. As you know, I used to kind of be big into it. And then I was like, well, whatever. Yeah. Now I know my body well enough to know when I, if I'm in the orange or in the red, if we're talking about heart rate, you know, really maxing it out. So you get the most out of your workout so that you continue the burn, even when you're sitting at your desk all day. Yeah. I mean, it, I think you do it enough. You start to learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Anything in terms of, uh, you know, keeping injury free. I know that's something that seems to plague a lot of people. Any, any tips for, uh, for folks to, to try to not, not hurt themselves doing this? Yeah, I think, um, I've learned this and just from, you know, all the sports medicine training that we had, you, people underestimate the power of a warm up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and making sure your warm up is not just, uh, just jog in place for a couple of minutes. I mean, that doesn't work. There are, there are certainly stretches out there. You know, the one that the NFL, you'll see them doing pregame, you know, which is called the million dollar stretch in the NFL world. And that's that big step forward where your back leg, almost a lunge position, mm -hmm. opposite arm up in the sky, and then you lean over and it really hits everything, prevents those. Because whenever they're making those sharp, you know, juke and left, juke and right, those strong pivots, mm -hmm. um, that's where you get the most injury. And so if your workouts have some of that, whether it's sprints where you're taking off really quick and all that power all at once, you want to prevent pulling a hamstring that it's the stretch and the warm up, and it's got to be active and make sure you spend some time on it, you know, 30 minutes. And some people don't have the time, but that's probably the most important aspect of the whole deal is staying healthy. No, I, I agree. I know, uh, you know, for me, um, you know, it's something I, I've similarly, like I've tried all different types of shit and a lot of different work, workout programs, different ways to eat. Uh, you know, you name it. I've, I've, I've tried a lot of different things over the years and, and been hurt a number of times also. And, and I, I'm a staunch advocate of, of making sure that, that everything's warmed up and, and uh, done properly. On the same token, I guess from a from kind of a, the violent nomad uh, type of mentality, though, is is there's a certain element of, you know, if the, if the shit does hit the fan, you know, you, you don't have time to warm up. Nope. And, and to me, one of the neat things about, you know, your style of uh, of incorporating that violent nomad type of type of workout is that it. it I think it better prepares you to be able to do that. Uh, just, you know, you're sitting at your desk and the shit hits the fan and you got to fucking yeah. go. Like if, if you train that way, you know, it's to train how you fight. Like it, it, it's, uh, I think it helps augment, uh, not, not injuring yourself, which is, which is good shit. The, um, 
in terms of seeing some of those workouts and, and some uh, video tutorials, that's on, do you have a YouTube channel that you can get? Yeah, 100 Deadly Skills. You can check out the uh, Violent Nomad workout. There's a couple of them on there. I plan on doing more, like at least one once a week so that yeah. everybody has examples of yeah. how simple it can be. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> if you want to check that shit out, uh, check out his 100 Deadly Skills YouTube channel. So the next thing that, uh, that I think, you know, especially with shit that's going on right now is, is some just some kind of overall tips uh, we'll get into some active shooter stuff here in a minute, but the you know the big thing that I think a lot of people are always wondering about, and, and even I get asked all the time, um, you know, is is some kind of recommendations for just you know your average everyday household that lives in suburban America. Like, what are some some tips you can give them just from basic like home and personal security slash awareness uh, things that you've seen over the years that uh, you know that that would help. That are that are realistic for people without a lot of training that you know just some simple things that they can augment into their home and into their lifestyle uh, that are going to help them uh, you know be a little more aware and secure yeah um well one of the skills in book two the survival edition lays out how to set up eccentric circles or you know a perimeter and you want to create kind of an onion around your home and you want to push push the circles out as far as you can which includes your neighbors and so in there, number one, we got to start talking to our neighbors again. You know, it kind of it takes a village type mindset. Yeah. Uh, start looking out for one another. I know, I know, you know, later on in my career, if, if certain people were heading in, if our guys were heading into a certain neighborhood, um, the target would know we're coming because everybody still talks in those mm-hmm. neighborhoods that we would go to, you know? Yeah. Um, and we here in the United States, we don't, people barely talk to their neighbors anymore. So the first thing is go talk to your neighbors become friends with them, start looking out for one another. That's the, then that, that pushes your fence line way out. You know, this is an invisible fence line, but that's the goal. So that if someone trolls through your neighborhood that doesn't belong, everybody gets a text and knows, Hey, uh, my particular neighborhood that I live in now, we do that all the time. It'd be like someone going from door to door that looks a little shady. Um, that wasn't I'll, me by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, but if, they, if someone's coming, I know about it before they knock on the door and that's kind of nice. Um, so the next, and then you bring it in a little closer, you know, to your sidewalk in your yard. Um, there's two kinds of predators out there. There's a daytime predators and nighttime predator. The daytime predator wants your stuff most of the time. Cause he's relying on the fact that everybody's going to work and doing an eight hour day. So they troll the neighborhoods while everybody's at work and then they determine who they're going to hit and they base it because of however the house looks. Um, there's vulnerabilities. One example, it's great to keep these guys off balance and away from your house is the two unpredictable things that they don't like. And that is animals, kids. And if you don't have an animal, um, you can put up signs that allude that you have animals. If you don't have kids, you can put toys on your front porch or out in your yard that allude that you have kids. But the goal is as soon as they typically see that, um, they move on to the next house. Uh, so it's a little bit of uh, deception, but it works great and keeps them away. If you're a single woman and the sexual predator issue comes, you know, put a pair of size 12, you know, cowboy boots outside your front door and your back door. And those sexual predators will see that and assume that there's a male in the house and hopefully push them off onto, you know, someone else. But, um, the next layer of course, and this is the one most people start with, and that's like locks and cameras and the security system that that's right around your perimeter. Um, I totally agree. You should have that kind of stuff, but if you can't afford it, you know, if you have an ADT guy come to your house, uh, he'll leave the signs in the front yard and those are free. Okay. Mm -hmm. And those, the signs in themselves are probably the most valuable aspect of the deal. 
Um, if you can afford the monthly service, then so be it. I'd get it. You know, you want to make sure all your windows, all your doors, uh, don't forget the second deck. A lot of times, if you have a two story house, they, they put all this stuff on the bottom, assuming that's the only, that's a single point of entry, but it's not, you know, a lot of these guys are smart enough to go up to the second floor knowing you're not going to spend the extra money on window sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, make sure everything's locked. When it comes to locks, it's not about the lock. It's not about the bolt that goes into your uh, door frame or the strike plate. It's more about the door frame. You want to make that door uh, five kick plus invincible, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone's kicking that door, you want to increase. And the way you increase the number of kicks is using three inch wood screws all the way around that door frame. Take your hinge screws, replace them with three inch wood screws. Take your strike plate, replace it with three inch wood screws. Now I can probably kick your door or, you know, any normal door that's been built by big, big contractors. Uh, you can, it's probably got a quick set or a Schlage lock on it. I can kick it maybe once or twice. The door frame's going to break and in I go, right? With, well, not my door, but yes. Not yours, yes. Yeah. But you reinforce it with uh, the wood screws. Now you're talking five kicks. So what does that mean to me? It's uh, if I'm in bed. I hear kick number one, it wakes me up. Kick number two, I'm grabbing my gun out of my nightstand. Kick number three, I'm hanging out by the door, waiting for him to come in, make sure he's way out of energy, gets to kick 10, opens the door, blows his head off, and we're all good. Yeah. Yeah. Just like that. He just, just like blows, that. blow his fucking head off. <laughs> yeah. yeah one Pink of, mist. That's right. Pink mist. I want it on the floor. I want it on the walls. Mm-hmm. The, uh, one of the things <clears> that, uh, that I'm a big fan of, the two, two things in conjunction to what you said is the dog uh, is used well the dog absolutely <laughs> but uh, you know, we'll talk about one of the skills here in a little bit but yeah um the the kick plates like the um the anti-kick plates that run you know basically the whole length of yeah of the door between a um, it's like one big hinge that folds over the seam of the door in the frame yeah yeah and and you know between that and a and a, a solid core uh, fiberglass door like you can you can it, it'll take police with a fucking battering ram 20 minutes to get that goddamn door without open. a doubt you know, uh, and again, you know, just like Clint said, I mean, time is, is everything, but, um, you know, there's limitations with, with everything you do. The other thing that I like is the three M anti-blast film on windows, which is fucking expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I will say that, that, that stuff, I mean, you can, you can take a fucking cinder block and throw it at the window and, and bash it 30 times in a row and, and not, not get through the window, which, uh, again, if you can afford it, that's great. But uh, those are just two things that I, I guess I've picked up over the years that that I know uh, I'm I'm a big fan of. But in, in terms of you know where I see a lot of people, and I'm curious to get your take, uh, where they kind of fuck up and and really lose their their situational awareness and self awareness is driving or out in town, like fucking with their phones, not paying mm-hmm. attention. Uh, like, is there some things that you can give people uh, heads up in terms of? of staying heads up out in town and, and not, not being so oblivious to the world around us other than just don't be oblivious. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's become more and more difficult for people to be more preemptive in thought because of technology without a doubt. Um, I mean, I, I get asked that all the time with it as it relates to awareness. And I think we overuse situational awareness, um, as, as the two words that they, that it makes up, but it's underutilized by people without a doubt. Um, I think the big one is uh, playing out scenarios. You hear it all the time, but truly playing out the scenario and looking for the X um, and creating invisible thresholds. And that's a lot. And um, I talk about it extensively in the books, but really what it is is 
play a game with yourself. You're driving, walking, and ask yourself, what would be a good place for someone to, you know, mug me right now, rape me right now, cut me off, abduct me? Um, there's a number of, you're really looking for those choke points. You're looking for the place where, you know, stealth and surprise and speed give the bad guy all those advantages. And it's the same place that uh, they're going to probably uh, ambush you, if you will. And so your goal is, is look for those ambush points, you know, look at what, oh yeah, that's probably a good spot for someone to take advantage of me, exploit me in some form or fashion. And as soon as you start like looking for these things, whether it's your drive from home to work and work to the gym and gym to home, now you're putting yourself into an autopilot. I mean, remember the days when, uh, you know, when we first started having to wear seatbelts, mm-hmm. it was like, Oh God, I gotta put this thing on. Then they, then they had chimes and cars that remind you to put the seatbelt on. And then, you know, you, of course you had click it or ticket kind of stuff, campaigns going on. And now we all put our seatbelts on and we don't even remember doing it. Yeah. You know, and then that's where you got to get your awareness. You got to be paying attention, but you don't even know that you're still paying attention to all these things. And it's getting your safety and security there really is all about forming good habits. And, uh, you know, we all know it's difficult to form good habits, but, you know, it's like anywhere between the seven day rule or the 30 day rule. If you're just doing it repeatedly and making yourself pay attention, okay, let me look for a good spot to ambush me today uh, or a good place where my computer could be exploited, whether that's a hotel room or you leave it for two seconds while you go to the bathroom at Starbucks. These are the things you just start playing out. What could possibly happen right now? And what's the best location or best technique that they could use against me? And before you know it, you're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the neat thing about uh, the parallel, you know, obviously with, with I, I look at everything kind of, how does it relate to dog training? Because it's what I, I deal with all day long. But yeah. you know, the two main takeaways from that as it relates to dogs is put yourself in the dog's shoes, put yourself in the attacker's shoes. Yeah. You know, is, is be thinking of that all the time. And the other thing too is is do things enough in, in the dogs. It's It's, you know, get them to... Uh, you know, to perform a specific behavior enough times to to where it becomes what we call a conditioned response. You know, same thing with the yeah. seat belts or with it. If, if you do it enough and just it, it becomes part of your daily habit, uh, then again, it's it, you you inadvertently perform that function without even even thinking about it. So, uh, you know, those are those are great tips. One uh, one other thing that I know people are, are always they ask me a, a lot about, and I don't know shit about it, is cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, you know, I have people that, that take care of all that stuff for me, but in terms of, like, my tips, shit, I don't know, like, buy, buy a, a violent nomad or, or escape <laughs> the wolf sleeve to, you know, to protect your shit. But what uh, yeah. what, what can you tell people in terms of, especially because with traveling and hotel rooms and shit like that, like, uh, I, know, I know a lot of people get screwed over doing that. Yeah. No, not without a doubt. It's at a macro level, at a national strategic level, it's it's far easier to be on the offense now as it relates to cyber it's it's far easier to constantly be on the offense than on the defense like we are these days our posture nationally is plugging holes that get exploited by state-sponsored cyber attacks right when we if we ever go on the offense now you're forcing them to constantly be plugging holes and fixing their shit instead of always attacking us so that's the first piece it's easier to be on the offense than on the defense when it comes to cyber um now you bring that down at a personal level it's much different right we don't no one's gonna none of us most of us don't have the skill sets to be offensive against someone so that they don't mess with us in the first place um but the big one is your laptops. I mean, they get exploited hands-on most of the time. And that's, you know, leaving it behind a hotel room. Your USB ports are always the point of access. Um, and remote attacks are pretty rare. But if they happen, it's usually called man-in-the-middle operations, meaning 
someone goes to the, goes to Best Buy or goes on Amazon and buys a, a fifty dollar router, right? He, he he programs this thing and names it Starbucks. Then he goes to a Starbucks and he turns it on. It's in his backpack. You mew, pull down your drop down menu, and you see Starbucks. And what the the strongest signals on top. So you assume, oh, that must be it. And you click on it. Now you've just given the power of your computer to someone else who's sitting right next to you in that Starbucks. It's yeah. these are urban guerrilla hacking kind of guys. And that's kind of the remote attacks that you'll see. And once you do that, now they have access to your computer. But the the physical attacks is is also the most common. It's because you feel like you have to leave your devices behind. And the, the one thing I can say to keep it simple is just keep your devices with you or don't take them at all. Uh, especially if you're traveling overseas on business, you know, or take dummy phones, dummy laptops. The thing, these are basically, they're like brand new out of the box and they're blank and they don't have any sensitive information on it. Then you just uh, keep that, keep all the sensitive stuff at home. Um, and then the next level that, you know, people I think already do these days is making sure the security updates are truly updated on all of your, all of your devices. Mm -hmm. I mean, these updates aren't something that, yeah, it kind of messes with your apps and messes with this and that. And you don't like doing it from time to time, but the reality is embedded in there most of the time is security stuff that they don't announce yeah. because they don't want you thinking that their shit's always that vulnerable. <laughs> so those updates always have a security patch in them in some form or fashion almost every single time. So yeah, it's a pain in the ass to do the update and potentially mess up whatever you got going on that's personal on your devices. But yeah, you got to make sure the updates. And then of course, lastly, use good passwords. Nobody likes to do it, but these days there's a rainbow, um, the rainbow, uh, um, encryption or it's, it's basically a hacking, um, a hack way of getting through passwords. And it's, it's these bot attacks mm. and the bots go in, they can run all 500 characters on your keyboard in like less than seconds. Right. And so it's going against your password and your username. So the last tip I give is treat your username like a password. You don't need it to be your email address. You don't need it to be, you know, whatever, uh, you know, your name, go ahead and make your usernames just as, disassociated from you as your passwords are. And then now what you've done is you've created actually two passwords, turn on the two part integrity that's on most of your devices these days to where it kind of sends you a text with a code. Mm -hmm. um, you treat your password, treat your username as a password, turn on the two integrity systems and then you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's great info. One of the things that, uh, I mean, at least for me personally, I know when I'm, when I travel, if, if I'm in a hotel or a Starbucks or whatever, I don't ever use Wi-Fi. Like I, I always just, I mean, I have unlimited data. Like even, even if I need to link my computer up, like I'll use my iPad or phone as a hotspot. Yeah. I, I don't ever fucking link up to it for that reason, you know? Uh, but one of the things when one of the, I know one of the products that, uh, that, you know, one of your companies sells is the is the blocking sleeves uh, zero trace. Yeah. So how tell me, tell me kind of what the, what the gist on those are. Yeah. Zero trace was, um, it's interesting. I, I kind of put it together when I was uh, deploying towards the end of my career and host nation will track you by your cell phone. I don't think this is anything new to anyone. Your cell phone is trackable and hackable. So, but the tracking piece was the most important to me because I didn't want people the host nation to know what I was doing or where I was going. Um, <clears throat> so I created a sleeve that would kind of, will still give me the ability to call for help, if you will, um, but not be emitting everything about me. And uh, so when I got out, I was like, well, hell, this would be great for everybody else. So Zero Trace really is um, 
a double layer metal box, if you will, but it looks nothing more than just like a pouch. You know, I've got different sizes. You can put your laptops in, you can put your phones in. I've even got, you know, a laptop briefcase that's completely shielded um, up to a five watt radio, which is the standard. I took these things and tested them at the NSA. We shot all kinds of electrons at it. We put all kinds of things inside that emit a lot of electrons and none of which was detected once you put them in those isolation rooms with all the foam, you know, spiky looking things, you know? Um, so anyway, I mean, my biggest, you know, the the people that use it the most, ironically enough, is the United States government buy these things from me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So if they're using it, you better use it. (laughs) I I guess, you know, for, for your average everyday, you know, listener out there, what, uh, you know, what's the likelihood of something like that? Like your, your phone getting, getting hacked or, or you're, you know, just walking around like what. So as you alluded to earlier, Wi-Fi is certainly more vulnerable than, than like your actual CDMA GSM, it's your cell phone signal. Mm-hmm. Whenever your phone talks to a tower, it's got MZs and Timsies, which is the encryption back and forth that allows it to communicate with the tower and you communicate with other people. And that is very, very secure. Most people don't know that. So if you have an option of using data versus Wi-Fi, use data. Yeah. It might be slower at times, but it's far more secure than Wi-Fi wherever you're at. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Good shit. So if you want, uh, want, want to check those products out, zero trace, uh, some, some good flashlights and, and some other gear too, which is uh, really good stuff. Um, so the next thing, you know, this, this is one of those hotbed topics that, you know, there's a, a multitude of, of variables that contribute to people's emotional opinions on it and, and what have you. Uh, we're going to talk about school shootings, uh, yeah. active shooter scenarios, because it's become so fucking prevalent in our society. Now, for the listeners out there, rest assured, we will get into the gun control, why it's happening, you know, all that stuff. Not on this podcast, because that, that's its own fucking episode that's, you know, a couple hours by itself. But uh, understanding that we're, uh, to a certain extent, glossing over some of the reasons as to why they're so prevalent. Uh, but the fact is, is that they are, they're, they're here. They're not going anywhere. It's, it's as shitty as it is to say, the reality of it is, is that, you know, the, the, the threat and thought and, and realistic possibility of, of any of us being somewhere where there is an active shooter scenario is, is absolutely real. Uh, it's something that, that you have to be prepared for. Uh, and it's something that I, you know, I, I get asked a lot and, and, and work with a lot of folks, uh, whether it's schools or, or whatever, but, you know, again, given your, your ex- expertise and, and with everything you're doing, uh, I know that's a, a big component. And so I'd like to, to kind of just get your take on, uh, from a, from a kind of a general purpose, active shooter scenario, like what can you, uh, forward on to the listener in terms of, should you find yourself, you know, holy fuck, like I'm in Walmart or my kids at school or, or whatever, like this is going down. What the fuck do I do? And, and yeah. kind of walk people through that. Yeah. I'd love to say that there's a band aid of some sort, you know, that but there isn't, it's very scenario driven. You know, when you talk about the blueprint of all these schools they are all different. So that drives some of the best practices you would implement, you know, on the, for escape the wolf, my company does all the crisis management for big companies. Um, you know, the mantra that's become more popular and backed by like the FBI and other law enforcement agencies is run, hide, fight. And we, it's starting to become more and more popular. Escape the wolf. We've been seeing it for God, five, six, seven years. So uh, run, hide, fight. It's an easy mantra. Um, it, and it's not in any particular order, by the way. You know, it's all situation dependent. So first, I mean, when we talk about guns, you know, I know we're not going down the path of gun control, but that's kind of an oxymoron considering there's 
330 million Americans in this country and 430 million guns. So control is, is, is it, it's, it is what it is. It's not, it's not going to be anything easy if you try to go down that path, 430 million guns. I mean, put it in perspective and, and then how many violent crimes with guns compared to the number of guns in the ratio. I mean, it's really, 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 really low. I mean, when you really compared to it and we talk about the gun itself, I mean, you know, I'm a big believer. It's not the gun. It's not the book. It's not the video game. It's people that kill people. And I think these days, a lot of it gets pushed back on mental healthness and, oh, he's unhinged. But, um, and then there's the warning signs that get ignored, you know, and the last couple of active shooters, it's important to note that people have been saying something now, have they been doing something? No, but they have been saying something. You see something, say something. It now needs to be continued on. See something, say something, do something, especially when law enforcement doesn't have the time. I don't blame the FBI in this recent shooting for n- not following up with all the warning signs that were given to them because it's just a manning thing. I mean, they, yeah, they can't I'm, be everywhere doing everything all yeah, the time. Yeah. Um, but if you are the person who's reporting it, you know, don't just report it once, report it over and over again and, and, and create uh, your own creative voice that leads to action. Squeaky wheel. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt, because pe- yeah. people will, will certainly act. Um, and especially if you go to social media, I mean, we all know that that gets people's attention pretty quick. So, yeah. OK, that's enough on the, on the bu- so run, hide, fight is just that it's an option and it's based on where you're at. If you're in a confined environment with no place to run, no place to hide, then you're left with the fight. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I've been pushing this year more than ever is that violence is not limited to the bad guys. It's okay for you to unleash violence as a good person. And it's the backbone to all these books. A hundred deadly skills is all about giving good people bad guy skills so that you can neutralize and eliminate this shit. These bad guys are very far and few between, but there's a whole bunch of us good people looking to pounce on them at any given moment. But if we have the skills and we've got the confidence because we're actually, you know, thinking about it, training about it, running scenarios through our heads, you are far better off than the predator walking through the damn door. These guys do not have the training nor you know, the reaction skill, they don't have anything going for them when they walk through the door. They got tunnel vision, adrenaline's through the roof. It's their first time usually to kill someone. Um, You know, 270 degrees around them is wide open. The only part that's occupied is wherever they're pointing their gun at any given time. So their flanks are open, their back is open. It doesn't take much for someone just to jump on those dudes and get this thing over with before more lives are taken. And so fight, fight, fight. And when you do, if you can team up with people, you team up with them and you kick the shit out of the person. Control the gun first, then control the body. If you have any question on how to control a body, it's all about the spine. You get a hold of their head or you get a hold of their hips and you control the body. It's MMA shit. It's simple. It's easy. So that leaves us with big macro movements because our fine motor skills are going to suck in an environment like that. Unless you're an MMA guy training, you know, 12 hours a day fighting all the time. But in this moment, we don't have time for small, fine motor skill, cool Jason Bourne shit with a five minute fight scene in a, in a bathroom stall. That's that's you want to walk away from that. You want to get this person control the weapon, control of the uh, body and then go from there. Devastating blows, teamwork. If you're by yourself, improvised weapons. I talk about that a lot in the books. Everything from a pen to, you know, even a, a, a roll of quarters, whatever you can get. It's the simple things that can be just, just as effective as some of the more, you know, cool guy stuff. Um, now the 
you know, working backwards, you know, the run. Um, we all hear it all the time, but reemphasizing there's a, if you're going to run, you want to run kind of zigzag crazy, right? Cause that changes the person's windage and elevation at the same time with their weapon. They're, they're constantly going left to right or up and down as you get further away from them. Um, and that's the run. If you're going to hide, hide behind things that stop bullets, which is called cover. We've all heard this cover stops bullets. Concealment does not. But if you get out of sight, then you're out of the line of sight, which is always a good thing. Um, but, but the big, big takeaway on this, especially indoors is when shots are fired inside a school, inside a mall, the sound is omnidirectional. You cannot tell which direction it came from unless you identify the shooter more times than not. These kids, or even at the mall shootings, people have run towards gunfire because they think it's like right behind them, when in reality, it's right in front of them. Mm -hmm. And so they go running right into the bullets. That sound is completely deceiving inside. And you don't know that unless, you know, for me, I've heard gunshots inside confined spaces and you think it's right outside your door, mm -hmm. but you open the door and you look and there's no one there. They're, they're down the hall around a corner. Sound waves just bounce and reflect much differently than outdoors at a range where, hey, yeah, I can hear the gun shooting to the right of me. I can hear the gun shooting to the left of me. But once again, identify the shooter, know where he's at, and then make your decisions and move on it. And these tactical decision-making isn't something that comes natural to most people. You've got to think through this stuff. And, but the biggest piece is like knowing where you're going to go when the time comes and identifying these things ahead of time, being proactive. Hey, the, the big round balls in front of a target, you know, there's a big concrete, you know, they stop a vehicle from going into the building, but they also great to duck behind. If there's a parking lot shooting, if you're inside a mall, there's structural pillars everywhere that are made of metal. Most of the time, get behind them, big planters, you know, the big concrete planters with a tree growing out of it. Those things stop bullets. Um, and of course, if you can't find those types of things, now you're limited to concealment, which is just hiding behind anything. Just get yourself out of sight so that you don't end up in his sights. That's a lot, but I'll stop there. You mean so So don't hide behind the blouse rack at Nordstrom? <laughs> yeah, unless, you know, there's something else going on in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, one of the things that, that I think is a, is a big takeaway from that, that uh, to highlight is, is the think. You know, because yeah. one of the things that I see people do it, you know, in in dogs and in, in all walks of life on a regular basis is is they don't take that just fucking split second and think like, wait, you know, let me figure out my bearings. Let me see what's going on. Just like you said, like, you know, yes. you've got to identify what's happening. Like if you just take off running, like, there's a good chance you may be running right into it, which, you know, as you as you said, happens more times than not with people. So. Uh, you know, for those of you listening out there, you know, to me, the couple of big takeaways and he's, he's given lots of really, really good info is that, you know, you, you want to, um, you know, really, really take that second and, and figure out what your plan of action is based on, on everything that he just said. So I uh, appreciate you sharing that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> one of the, the things that I want to get into now is, is talking about these books and, uh, you know, the, the really fucking cool thing that I love about these is is a bunch of things but i i don't know if you remember growing up uh like the boy scout manual you know from being a boy scout like there's some oh, pretty yeah. good info in there uh the anarchist cookbook and the sas survival guide like to me these are kind of a, a, a really kick-ass combination of all three of those things like without it take, a doubt it takes the the best of, of those three things and and combines it into a relevant uh you know new age you know, modern day applicable fucking series of, of really cool skills with awesome illustrations and, uh, and just a, a shit ton of good info. And, and for me, 
um, you know, the way I kind of have, have gone through them is, uh, and one of the things I like about them is it's not a book where like, you've got to start in the front and, and go to the back. Like you can flip it to any, any one of these skills and, and check it out. And, and, you know, it's good shitter material or, or on a coffee table, yeah. you know, in a waiting room or, uh, or in your car when you're, you know, you're waiting to pick somebody up or whatever. Like it's, it's just lots of good, quick, usable info. Uh, and there's some funny shit in there too. Um, of course. What I'd uh, <clears throat> what I'd like to do is is just talk about a, cu- a couple of them out of each that I picked that uh, that I like, and, and we can go over them real quick. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Uh, one thing for you guys out there that are listening. So the, the two different books are, uh, they're both called 100 Deadly Skills. The first one is is just self-titled. The second one is the survival edition. So the first one uh, has kind of more macro um, you know, I mean, criminal uh, type it's, elements to it. If you, I mean, by yeah, means. the first one really gives you gives you skills, personal skills on how to survive against the bad guys. And a lot of the skills are created, invented by bad guys. People like to always ask, oh, did you learn all this stuff in the SEAL teams? I'm like, no, not really. I mean, there are some things in there, but most of it is is criminal stuff. And, you know, as we all know, if you know what your bad guy, your adversary is going to do, then you're kind of taking their tactics away from them. And that's the mm-hmm. goal. Yeah. yeah. No, and there's some some fantastic stuff. Whereas the the survival edition is more like survival guide, you know, fire building, water containment, uh, you know, stuff like that. And uh, like I said, I just it was funny. I, I took a, a a pretty long trip this past summer with some family members, and and uh, you know, there's you know kids reading reading the books and and out there you know fucking with skills and and and, and applying them and, and making them work. And it was just uh, you know to me, it's really cool to see. Uh, just how how usable and how good the info is, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's the goal. The uh, the first skill, uh, <clears throat> jump jumping right into it is good old 007, uh, which I'm sure you hear a lot about. This is uh, how to construct rectal concealment. Oh yeah, um, you know that one. This is a huge huge favorite of mine. I practice it all the time, uh, and I'm huge. curious to get uh, a yeah, huge <laughs> huge practice. Uh, what uh, tell me a little bit about this one? Yeah, I mean it. Of course, when you do any kind of book, you got to have some uh, informative is the number one goal. Entertaining is second. So the rectal concealment dates back to, uh, I mean, criminals, uh, spies, you name it, have employed this. And uh, the modern day rectal concealment really is a cigar tube. You want the short stubby ones, even though illustrated there is the long, (laughs) like six inch, you know, stogie um you want the smaller diameter if possible but uh you know sometimes you you can't be picky yeah 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 yeah, that's right you like them big um but yeah the the ultimately is uh it's a creative way of uh um there there was a time when um if you went into a high risk area you needed to uh you needed to have means of escape readily available knowing that you're going to be stripped down butt naked um, and this was a real concern, uh, depending on where you're operating, believe it or not. I mean, so there was, uh, the rectal concealment and then there was the more, you know, uh, popular ones, which would be like, you know, taking latex scars and hiding tools and that so that you can still get yourself out of a really, really shitty situation. Um, so it's a little extreme, 
but it's also something that people I think are curious about. So it's, you know, it's a saccard tube. It has the basics. It has a nail. It has a wooden dowel. The nail can be actually put through the cap and you can turn that into a weapon. Mm -hmm. um, inside is everything from a micro compass, cash. Cash is a big deal, right? What you can't get with your gun, you can get with money. And what you yeah. can't get with money, you can get with your gun. And so um, it's kind of the concept is money, you know, navigation, and then means of escape. And then if you can, you know, put some form of uh, uh, communication, which is something as simple as a small whistle to, you know, a, a small LED that allows you to signal for help. Amen. That's good shit. The, yeah. One of the things, too, for those of you that are watching, <clears throat> like here's a here's kind of a, the gist of it. What I love about this book is it's it's set up, you know, basically two pages per per skill you got yeah. on the left side. You've got a pretty in-depth description. And then on the right side, these really kick-ass illustrations, your illustrator did a bang up job. It's yeah. uh, it's really, really fucking cool. But, um, so yeah, it's just a, it's a really good, good way that it's set up, gives you just enough info to, to understand it and apply it. Uh, but not so in depth to where it's, uh, you know, drawn, uh, running on and, and, uh, kind of draining you read it. But, yeah. um, the next one, uh, and again, like every one of these is, is valuable, good info. I just, I picked a handful out of each to, to talk about, to give you guys an idea of, of what's in it, but, uh, detect tampering of personal effects. Uh, this is skill number 38. And one of the things that I really like about this one is again, is that, you know, this is very real world modern day, like problems that, uh, that we have. And, and so this kind of encompasses how to, how to combat that. But this is something that I know I deal with and, and actually apply. Like when I travel, I, I use this specific skill set all the fucking time in, in my hotel room. So, um, you know, I'm curious to, uh, to get your explanation of it. Yeah. So there's, um, there's the physical way of determining whether someone's been tampering with your stuff, which means you're setting traps. But the important takeaway is, is you don't want them to know you're setting traps. So these things have to be discreet and natural to the environment. Meaning if I have to leave my laptop behind, then I'm going to make sure that I have, let's say this coffee cup put right next to the USB ports. And then I'm going to go ahead and turn that handle, you know, a cardinal bearing, let's say due north. You know, you can pull out the compass on your, your iPhone or whatever phone you have. Out of your rectal tube. Yeah, your rectal tube, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then line that compass, line up the handle you know, to North, you've got it blocking the USB ports. So now if somebody does want to come and exploit your laptop, they got to either move the laptop or move the coffee cup. And at least you know that your stuff's been messed with. Um, and once again, when we talked about house security, you're setting up a perimeter, right? So your door into your hotel room is the first line of attack. So the way that you can determine someone's been in your room is you put the do not disturb sign on, but then you close it in between the door and the door frame. So it looks like you kind of left in a hurry and it swung into between the door and the door frame and closed. Now, if someone comes back, they're not going to reset that. They're going to think exactly what I just said, and they're going to go inside. It's important to note too, that just, you, just because you put the do not disturb sign by law, no one, that doesn't mean they don't go in, right? Especially overseas, mm -hmm. you know, host nation oh, yeah. usually plays a big role in uh, who goes in and out of those hotel rooms. The, uh, <clears throat> tell me about the, the app that actually helps with that, that you designed. Yeah. So to make it even more streamlined, um, is first it started with me. I just would take pictures and before cell phones had cameras, uh, I just take a picture with my camera with a digital screen. You tell you the before you do the after you make sure you, you anchor yourself into the same exact location in your room, take the picture. And then when you come back, take the other and you can compare the two pictures and see what's been moved. Well, I took it one step further and created an app called photo trap. 
Photo Trap is downloadable on all the um, app stores. And so what it does is it, it, you, you take the picture, it's right there on your cell phone, um, it stores it, it creates a shadow image so that when you come back, you line up all the permanent features in a room, things that you know aren't gonna move. It could be the big bulky furniture, it could be the door frame, it could be the light switch. These are things that are not gonna move. So when you come back, you line up all the permanent aspects, stand in the same location, take the second picture, and then what it does is it animates anything that's moved. So when you're staring at the picture and you press play, you'll see your laptop had moved. Even if it's moved the slightest, you'll notice that it's moved because the way that the app compares the two before yeah. and the after image. Uh, that's that's yeah. really, really cool. And, and, <clears throat> and again, super usable because, uh, you know, again, it's, you know, anytime you're traveling, if you have sensitive shit on, on any of your stuff, uh, you know, you use that and, and it'll help you out. I, I love it. Yeah. Just awareness, you know, yeah. if you're being targeted or just if it's common yeah. thieves. One of the things that I get asked a lot about too, and I, I never use them is I think it's kind of a joke is the, uh, the safes inside of a, of a hotel room. hundred percent joke. You know, um, I think a lot of times you're like, Oh, I'll throw it in the safe. It'd be great there. Like that's <laughs> no. the dumbest fucking thing you could yeah. do. Yeah, it is. You know? Management, everybody has access to that thing. It makes you feel like you're, you're, pro you're programming your own code. Yeah. But when you pull off the keypad, there's a, there's a keyhole there. Yeah. I mean, you just use your key and they open it up. Yeah. I mean, just liability wise, like obviously they're going to, uh, yeah, uh, they're going to be able to get in there if they, if they want to. But, um, the, the last skill that I picked, uh, I had to, uh, because of what I do for a living. It's uh, 83. It says get past a guard dog. Now you gave me all those tips. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all these, all these tips, uh, you know, the, the thing that, you know, we bust each other's balls about it, but uh, the, the one thing that I will say is that, you know, one of the, from a selection standpoint, when I'm testing dogs, I, I do some things that are, that are pretty, pretty hard on them to make sure that they'll put up with stuff like this. But one, one of the things I do like about, um, you know, these, these techniques is that for, for your average everyday dog that gives the appearance of, of a protection dog or guard dog, or even has been trained to do bark and holds or, or alert barking or, uh, you know, shows of, or displays of aggression, things of that nature. Uh, if the dog doesn't, from a genetic standpoint, truly have what I would call, uh, you know, heart or, or passes, you know, what I, what I use as my stringent selection test to, to find out if the dogs have what it takes is that it, that it would, is that if, if a dog doesn't have that, that naturally forwardly aggressive genetic component to it that I look for and is, and is excruciatingly rare, that uh, a lot of these tips are, are, and would be very effective against a dog that, uh, you know, that's, that's just your average, average house dog that's growling and trying to bite people coming through a door, et cetera. So, uh, I'm curious to get your take on it though. Yeah. I think the big one on there that we actually tested regularly when you're going into an occupied target, um, knowing that it's got animals, um, freezing its nose. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. We did it once to a dog and, uh, it's temporary. It's nothing permanent to the dog. You basically take, uh, a, um, keyboard air spray can right mm -hmm. you turn it upside down it turns into a really cold mist and um so we open the door and right there's a, a nice nose and some teeth right shining in the night and so you hit them in the nose it freezes their nose right and you know better than i do that that nose is pretty sensitive um and the follow-on we had to come back the next night 
And sure enough, that dog, as soon as we cracked the door, decided just to go walk away. It was like, yeah. I don't want that shit anymore. <laughs> um, so it was a pretty effective technique. It's one of which is in the book. The other one's like, you know, pregnant dog urine and uh, it should distract the dog. I'm still figuring out ways to collect the yeah. pregnant dog I can help urine. you with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I'd love to come out here and do a video <laughs> on actually testing these with your dogs. It'd be yeah. kind of fun. I'll make sure I put the bite suit on first. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No shit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, the not to get too off tangent, but the you know the 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 single most important element from a <clears throat> from a protection dog or a working dog standpoint is is no different than what we look for in human being uh, counterpart is his heart, you know, yeah. and that's because that's something you can't teach, you know, all all the training in the world if you've got a, a human or a dog that just does not have that. Uh, that heart, uh, for lack of better terms, yeah, the spirit. Um, yeah. Then, uh, then you know, there's only so much you can do. No different than professional athletes or, or anything else. But uh, that's that's why we're so so particular and so hard on the dogs in the in the initial selection. But um, yeah, that's good. So the next uh, the next book, the Survival Edition. Again, I, I really like this one um, because of the just the useful things. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of you know pulls bear Grylls's man card a little bit and says you know here like here's the real deal shit because some of the things i've seen him do i mean not to talk shit on bear Grylls, but uh <laughs> but the fact is is that some of it's bullshit you know and yeah. uh and the stuff in here like number one I've, I've been with you on some of these that we learned overseas and and uh and they're fucking effective um you know but but from a kind of a broader perspective is that uh, you know, they're, they're skills that, that you don't have to be a, a master survivalist to be able to, to employ. They're, they're easily demonstrated and explained in the book. Uh, and are just some, some really, really neat tips that, I mean, honestly, there's pretty much every one of them here is worth talking about. I just kind of hand selected a few to, to go over, but, uh, this, this one I find, uh, is very, very relevant. Um, just in general is building a fire with damp wood, uh, which is skill number 33. Um, and just kind of the intro is even in a damp environment, if wood is plentiful, a successful fire will be within reach. Follow these fire making tips applicable to any setting to make sure your yours burns hot and strong, kind of like Clint's love life. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> um so yeah, just tell me a little bit about uh, kind of what where you came up. Well, I think this. you know book two really is uh, everything from camping trip gone bad to active shooter. It's more of a playbook. You know, it kind of gives you the uh, the blueprint to surviving all of the crises we hear about. That's that was the goal of of book number two. Uh, when it comes to fire, I mean, if you think about it, we have lost a lot of our more primitive skills because of technology and we've modernized civilization has become more modern. And of course, yeah, if you got a lighter, you're going to use a lighter. Mm -hmm. Um, but the reality is too, is when technology goes down, the battery goes dead, you break the screen, um, or you get lost or you use, you know, I like to make fun of Apple maps cause it, it drives people literally off the road, yeah. uh, versus like Google maps, which is, you know, usually pretty damn accurate. So, the same thing applies. You know, you could you be using Apple Maps and drive off the road, and now all of a sudden you're in a survival situation. And creating fire is like one of the first things, especially, you know, if it's going to be a multi-day event where I might not get rescued. I might not be able to communicate where I'm at or what I'm doing. And so warmth and boiling water and, uh, you know, which is your first two items, right, depending on the weather. But you've got to have fire to get the clean water in order to survive the, at a minimum the 30 days. You know, the three, the rule of threes we always hear about, you know. Um, but building a fire is, is without a doubt an important factor and it all starts small, you know, yes, wood is damp on the outside. As soon as you take a knife to it, it's dry on the inside. 
Um, if it's been something that's been laying there for a significant amount of time, obviously, if you're trying to burn something alive, then it's going to burn eventually, but it's going to take a lot longer. So you want to use what's on the ground first. And some of this is what used to be just the basics and the common sense a long time ago. And what's funny is a lot of people don't even know where to start these days. I know it's crazy about this. I mean, it's something that, you know, since I moved to Texas, uh, a little over eight years ago, um, you know, I've taken a liking to two things, one burning shit. I mean, I already like burning shit, but (laughs) Uh, you know, I use my fireplace here, you know, in the wintertime to, to heat the house and, oh, yeah. and I smoke a shitload of meat on barbecue. I fucking love it. Um, and so I've, I've turned into kind of a wood dork that way and, and really gotten into the, the finer points of wood. But what, you know, what I realize is even, even with myself, like, you know, I haven't been through seer school and different survival training overseas and, and whatever. I mean, I, I could get it done, but I still, you know, the, the knowledge I have now just from messing with it a lot is, is, you know, far, far oh, exceeds yeah. that. But but what I've also kind of come to the realization is that, you know, the, how few people know how to start a fucking fire, you know, right. even with all of the right shit can't start a fucking fire, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, with a lighter and newspaper and kindling and, and dry seasoned wood, they'll still manage to fuck it up. And so, uh, you know, again, it's a, a, an actual, you know, very useful, applicable skill in here that, uh, that I dig, but, yeah. um, yeah. Another one, just because of the the relevance in, in today's day and age, if you will, is uh, skill number forty seven, which is building a tactical nightstand. Uh, this is something that I get asked all the time. You know, I, I have some some particulars. I'll I'll leave that for another podcast and, and let you uh, uh, get into your your recommendations here. But um, you know, to me, this is one of those things that. Uh, you know, on the, on the second category of the nighttime burglar robber, like to me, that's, yeah. that's the much more, um, you know, nasty one that, that you really need to worry about. And, and if they catch you literally with your fucking pants down middle of the night, you got to have some quick accessible shit and, and it needs to yeah. be thought out and designed and whatever. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you on that. Yeah. The tactical nightstand really, I think is every man kind of does it already. Um, and probably some of the females out there as well, but, um, it's it's really to make you your, increase your readiness while you're at home, especially when you're most vulnerable, which is when we're asleep. So how do you increase readiness while you're asleep? You make sure that the, the immediate environment around you has got some tools that can become beneficial if someone comes through the door. Um, so, and I made it kind of state dependent. If you look, yeah, I've got guns, but I also have Hornet spray or, you know, oven cleaner, right? Now these are going to cause permanent damage. This isn't mace. And I, as much as mace is for outside of your home because it's legal outside your home. If you were to spray somebody in the face with wasp spray outside your home, it's a felony. Mm -hmm. Um, even if you're doing it in self-defense, it's still illegal. So just know that, yeah, someone comes to the threshold of your home, then they deserve oven cleaner or wasp spray to cause severe permanent damage. Because if they're that stupid to come through, then they're going to leave with something that's a reminder for the rest of their freaking life. And that's if you're in a state where, or if you're not a gun person, which is okay. Obviously my first choice is going to be the gun. Um, and just put this whole thing, you know, out of its misery. But if you happen to be someone who isn't comfortable with guns or you live in a state where it's difficult for guns, then the wasp spray oven cleaner theory is good to go. Uh, mainly because it gives you that distance, right? 30 feet away. Um, on top of that, you know, that is just as good. Now you can use inside and outside as bear spray because it's still all natural products. It's just a more intense version of mace, Mm -hmm. but it's all natural because no one wants to really hurt the bears. Um, but the beautiful thing, once again, is it's got that 30 foot distance on it. Yeah. I mean, it's like a fucking goal. It's like a goddamn fire extinguisher. Oh yeah. I mean, and people don't understand the value in some of that type of stuff with home products. 
products. I mean, hell, you don't have to go and, you know, buy a gun, learn how to use a gun, be professional, effective, and God worry about my kids with the gun and this and that, 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 that. I mean, you can sometimes just take home products. And that's really the goal was, hey, let's give not so much tell you what you should. It's more about opening your mind up to the kinds of things you can leverage. You know, of course, in the illustration, I've got the nightstand, I've got the tourniquet, I've got all kinds of yeah. stuff going on, knives, flashlights. Of course, you know, a flashlight's nice, but, um, you know, you don't want to self-illuminate. You don't want to identify yourself with light. A lot of times people feel like if they hear something, they turn on all their lights. Well, you know your blueprint better than the bad guy. So let that person trip and fall. Mm-hmm. And you navigate through the night just fine in your own home. So, you know, be careful with lighting. I mean, we do it because it's a re- it's a reflex that we've always felt like we've needed to do. Yeah. Turn on the light in the bedroom, the hallway, down the stairs, into the living room, and you're just showing this guy that you're on your way mm-hmm. without saying a word. Yeah. So, yeah, keep all that to yourself. But a, fl- a good flashlight that can light someone up but also can break their skull. I mean, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's the gist of uh, the tactical night. Yeah, no, it's uh, again all all really good solid info in here that uh, gives you a lot of things to think about no matter where you're at, no matter what you're comfortable with. Uh, I encourage you to check that one out. It's good shit. Uh, another thing, again, just in the, in the kind of times that we live in, zero uh, five five is escape a carjacking. Uh, now, this is something that uh, you know I can tell you, dogs are are very very effective at. Uh, but again, that's a very specialized skill that um, you know that that is a whole different different topic. Uh, but you know, this is for Again, you're at an ATM, uh, you know, you're at a bank, you know, you're at a drive through you're in a fucking parking lot, whatever is that, you know, carjackings are, are very real. And, and we've all seen enough of the the helo cam footage of, of, you know, dudes that are on a high speed chase and, and literally like some soccer mom sitting at a at a red light with her kids in the back and, you know, yeah. oblivious. And all of a sudden <clears throat> some some tweaker runs up, yanks the door out, grabs her by her hair, throws her out on the ground and, and dives in like that's that's no bullshit you know and if is. your kids are in the car like that's a that's a shit sandwich so um, yeah talk uh, talk to yeah us that skill that. is uh i mean the big the big one on that when you have the violent crime and they're in escape mode and they're like rats trying to get out of a hole right so um that is a very specific situation but more times than not bad guys are following the money so anywhere you're getting money especially those external like you know the externally mounted atm machines on buildings where someone can see you getting money, right? If you have an option, first of all, always go inside to get money. Um, know that the bank or wherever the money is, that's where most of the violent crime or at least the surveillance to commit the crime starts with money more times than not. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as you know that, then now all of a sudden your awareness goes up and hopefully you're just eluding the whole damn thing altogether. Um, okay, so second to that, if someone is coming to your window, first, have all your doors always locked at all times, especially at the ATM machine. When you're turning towards that machine and giving that machine all your attention, the drive up kind, that passenger door becomes the most vulnerable. So make sure the window's up, the door's locked, you know, do what you need to do, but also maintain your awareness around you. If you have an option and you can pull it off, now our physical capability plays a part here. Leave it and drive, foot on the brake is better than throwing it in park and getting all relaxed and then mm-hmm. hanging halfway out the window to do what you need to do. But some people, maybe it might be a height issue, you know, but figure out a way to do that without making yourself vulnerable. Yeah. Now, that's that's preventing at a stop. Now, if you're stop light or out on common roads, um, you know, and someone comes up, then and, and let's say you do have the window down or you put yourself at a disadvantage and now you got to fix that. When that weapon, if it's a weapon coming through the window, 
You know, one of the techniques that uh, has been used several times successful is slamming. Once again, control the weapon, then control the body. In this case, we have a 4,000 pound weapon that we're driving. Mm -hmm. So you want to push that weapon against the dash, against the steering wheel, whatever's immediately in front of you. And you're either going to hit the gas or you can put it in reverse. You have a lot of options here. And then the, the, the vehicle then becomes the weapon on that arm or that hand holding it, right? So that's, the, that's a very macro move. It doesn't mean you got to go kung fu and learn a bunch of things. But if you can slam it in there and then hit the gas, always give yourself an out. You have to remember having a car length minimum in front of you at all times, whether it's carjackings or just getting yourself out of trouble is always a good thing. Paying attention to your rearview mirror, know the gaps and know that every bit of the terrain we're around is all drivable. Yeah. Just because there's that yellow line on the ground doesn't mean you can't cross it. Just because there's a sidewalk doesn't mean you can't jump on it. Yeah. There is always an out. You just have to be comfortable with just taking all the outs that are there, especially when a gun is pointed at your head. Yeah. When that, uh, you know, that uh, at least car length of distance, like that's something I employ, you know, in traffic jams at stoplights oh, yeah. you know, all the time. I always make sure <clears throat> that at a minimum there's enough room for me to gun it and, and get out, you know, away from somebody that... Uh, if somebody's fucking with me, one of the things uh, in course of action number two that I think is is good and valuable too is the dismounted option. If you're if you're, let's say you're in a parking structure, you're outside your vehicle. Um, yeah, you know, talks about you know paying attention, stay off your phone, tossing the keys. You know, is that something you you generally advise people to to just try to get out of there, throw your keys, and run away from, or what? Yeah, do? most of the time, I don't expect anybody to be uh, get into fight mode yeah. and stay in it. It's really. What's the path of least resistance? You know, if the guy wants my car, then give him the car, yeah. right? And if, uh, so if I have to toss my keys in the opposite direction in which I'm going to run and make him go get those keys and then get in the car and drive away, then so be it. I'm already at least safe. Yeah. With everything else, it's about creating pain. Create the pain so that it opens up an outer means of escape, yeah. not create pain, create pain, create pain, create pain, and keep yourself in a vulnerable situation, which yeah. is the fight itself. Because, yeah. uh, you know, as we know, fights can turn. For sure. the worst, if you stay on target long enough, yeah, break from so, contact, get away. Yes, yeah. amen. Get <clears throat> off the X. Yep. Uh, last one, and again, this is just you know because a lot of stuff that's in the news, and it's also one thing that I think a lot of people don't really think about um, in terms of you know mass shootings or uh, active shooter scenarios is is treating gunshot wounds, uh, right. skill number ninety four, and that's one thing that. You know, again, I think as a as a society, um, with technology being what it is, we've gotten further further and further away from both primal instincts, but also just some common sense, basic first aid, and and uh, you know, building fires and shit like that. But you know, with the basic first aid thing, you know, a lot of times uh, in a, in an environment like that, there's a a fairly solid chance, um, you know, that that you're going to be the first responder. And you may be there for several minutes, you know, and, oh, yeah. and, and for everybody. I mean, I, I, this is one of the things that I, I advocate to a lot of people that say, you know, what should I carry and, and all this other stuff. I mean, to me, an EDC fucking med kit, you know, at your desk and your backpack, if you're a student in your car, I mean, I keep them fucking everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, know how to use the basic things, know how to use a tourniquet, be able to go through some basic ABCs. But that's shit that, you know, that there there is a very good chance, should you find yourself in this scenario, that, that you may be that person that is is uh you know either responsible for saving somebody or you know, i'm not gonna say it's your fault that they died but uh but you know there's a lot of things you can bring to the table that a lot of times they don't think about they just think about you know the shooting scenario and not how do, how do we deal with people afterwards so right what can you tell us on that? <clears throat> yeah i mean i i concur man it's like i tell people all the time you got to make the decision now are you going to stop 
the bad guy or are you going to stop the bleeding? And it's okay, whichever direction you want to go, but at least choose one because yeah. we are all first responders, whether we like it or not, and, until, the, until the real first responders get there. So, yes, I, I agree. And have, having first aid um, readily available everywhere you're at is always a good thing. What I don't like seeing is how much, how popular these one-handed tourniquets and things have become. I see all the time. Tourniquet is the last option. It's not the first. And people feel like, and I've seen it, you know, whether it's on Instagram, everywhere, everyone's just got the tourniquet. It's, yes, life over limb, okay, and that's a, that's a common term in the medical world. Um, if you've got a bleeder going on and it's in your extremities, then, yes, the tourniquet has a place when you know it's bright red blood. It's not going to stop after you've already tried direct pressure, a pressure dressing. All of these things have failed and then you put the tourniquet on. So I think they're, the education on that side of the house has gone down the drain. Everybody just jumps straight to a tourniquet. Keep in mind, as soon as you put on a tourniquet, you're stopping blood flow to the entire healthy parts of the extremity, and you're also creating nerve damage. So it is a last resort, even though it's been made popular to be like the only thing and the first thing you carry. So stopping bleeding um, is really broken down into several easy parts that we all kind of know one you got to identify where the blood is coming from and and when it comes to gunshot wounds is there did it did it go in and stop or is there an exit wound so you have to check both sides sometimes you can be shot in the leg it bounce and travel up your femur into your pelvis and out your ass so just because you've been shot in the leg doesn't mean the exit wound is going to be in the leg. So you have to really look at the entire body. Okay, that's number one. If you don't identify where all the blood could potentially come from, well, then you're not really doing the guy any justice by solving just the one problem you see. Okay, so that's, that's important. Number two, once you've identified all the bleeders, now you want to put direct pressure. I mean, the palm of your hand right into that thing, and it's going to hurt, but that's okay because it's going to hopefully stop the bleeding without applying a tourniquet. As soon as you get the pressure under control and get that thing, as soon as you slow down the bleeding, slow blood likes to clot. And that's what you're trying to do. Slow the bleeding down so clotting starts. And you want that to be from the outside, not from the end, right? So put direct pressure, elevate. Elevating it, obviously, you know, gets the bleeding to stop, right? So if it's your leg, you put that leg up, get the blood flow back to the heart, and it Blood doesn't like to travel against gravity, hence the reason why we elevate all the time. Um, and then if those things don't work, direct pressure, pressure dressing, you still see bright red blood, which represents arterial blood. And arterial blood is the oxygenated blood that's really keeping you alive. If it's dark red blood, then it's venous, which means it's already used blood, if you will. It's already passed through its areas where it's been where the oxygen and the hemoglobin's been used, and it's on its way back to the heart and lungs to get oxygenated again. And there is a difference because the arterial blood is the one that's really of grave concern, right? The bright red blood is what you're looking for. The dark blood is dark blood. I mean, okay? the, the arterial bleeds what's going to kill you in fucking exactly. seconds or minutes, right? Yes, yeah. and that's the that's the distinguishing factor. Once again, there's a lot more to this than just put a tourniquet on. Um, and then, and then you got to go get your whole limb amputated because you went straight to the tourniquet when it, all it was, was a fucking paper cut. I mean, yeah. people, uh, have completely, um, kind of sexified the tourniquet. Um, all right. So, so you, it sounds like the tur the tourniquet's a bit of a pet peeve. <laughs> well, it's, it is when everybody's using it as like the first piece of uh, equipment you're supposed to throw on a bleeder. 
Yeah, because um, I mean, you could lose you could lose limbs on in, you know unintentionally. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. So. Sometimes it's I just it's caution. Just use caution, all right? Yeah. Make sure you get trained. Stopping the bleeding is not. I mean, you saw in Iraq those Marines that got hit. Yeah. The one that got shot in the calf. Me yeah. and Glenn started working. One got shot in the chest. The other one in the, in the calf. You know, we don't go straight to the tourniquet. Yeah. I mean, it's a gunshot wound through the calf. Yeah. So you go straight to the bleeder. Stop the bleeding. There's a lot of other parts and pieces to all this, like the vital signs are really important. You know, what's the heart doing? What's blood pressure doing? What's the pulse doing? Um, and those things kind of determine direction. But overall, get the pressure on there. If it doesn't stop, then maybe you got to work your way towards a tourniquet. Okay. <clears throat> so the big, big takeaways then is to, is to come up, get pressure on it. Uh, if there is an entrance wound, try to look for an exit wound and, yes. and figure out if, if, you know, both of them need to be addressed. One of the things that I found interesting in here, uh, and one thing I'd like to ask also is the course of action too, of applying a tampon. Like, you know, th those are things that, you know, people may laugh, but I mean, that, that is a very good, good yes. option for, for that size wound. And, and, you know, I could save somebody's life. You want to talk about that real quick? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about a nine millimeter, 45 rounds, you know, where they create a little bit of more cavitation than, you know, some of the other bullets, um, you know, it creates an opening and, uh, let's face it, tampons, maxi pads, all used for stopping bleeding, you know, and people laugh at that, but the reality is, is it's already the right diameter. Um, you know, what's great is tampons come in all kinds of different sizes, yeah. you know, long, short, thick, thin, um, and they can fit nicely into, uh, any bleeder. And most women have them in their purses readily available when crisis like this strikes in, uh, your more common areas. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's, that's the one thing that that kind of jumped out at me uh, right away is that, you know, that's something that unquestionably like those are going to be around, you know, and, yeah. and, a, and a, I mean, th those are everywhere. I mean, if there's a, a couple of females in a, in a school or in schools in general, especially big public areas, like they're, they're going to be there. Uh, one last thing, this is something that I, I keep on me from, uh, in all the med kits. Cause I mean, I'll keep one in my backpack when I travel, I keep them in my car, I keep them in luggage, you know, when I, when I go, um, uh, even flying on planes, like ones that I have stuff in there that you can't carry on. Like I'll put it in my, in my check bags and, and always have that stuff with me. But one thing that I, I include in all that is quick clot, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, that's something that we, we carried, uh, overseas. We pretty, were the first ones, yeah. you know, and, uh, that's something that, you know, for those of you out there, I, I would encourage everybody to, uh, you know, with between YouTube and, and just different local resources, like, do yourself a favor, do your family a favor, do coworkers a favor, um, you know, and, and, and get some training on that and, and carry that stuff. Cause that can be the difference between, you know, losing family members or, or people you care about. And, uh, and that's good, good stuff. So, um, yeah. anything else you want to add on the, on the books? No, no, I just, um, you know, you've hit it. The goal is to really make everybody out there more self-reliant, self-rescue oriented and bridge the gap between crisis and the unknown. Amen. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to me, I, I can't encourage you guys enough to, to check these books out. Hundred Deadly, Deadly Skills, they are fucking awesome. So, um, with that, um, I, I know, you know, everybody listening right now is, is fascinated um, and inevitably they're going to ask, you know, where, where can we find you, whether it's online, just, you know, tell me about all of the different projects you have going on, things that you're doing that, that they can check out, that they can buy, that that's available, anything uh, coming up to, you know, you know, in the future, different shit that you have going on. Sure. Uh, the links to, you know, everything I've got going on is at clintemerson.com. So you can get to me uh, through that website, or you can click on Escape the Wolf. If you're interested in some of the corporate offerings, you can click on 100 Deadly Skills. 
if uh, you're interested in books and things that relate to it or you can click on violent nomad if you're interested in any of the gear and apparel that kind of brings out that violent nomad spirit in all of us um that's pretty much it of course instagram is my primary uh social media which is 100 deadly skills now for uh you know different executives corporations whatever um can you talk a little bit about the the consulting that you do for for big corporations uh, or people hosting events to have you come come help them with training similar to what we've discussed today yeah so escape the wolf um is a crisis management company and uh, it started as a book now is you know one of the leaders in doing crisis management that's everything from active shooter to cyber workforce education and that's building customized tailored best practices to the environments they work in taking consideration of the facilities and the culture um and giving everyone uh, the ability to survive, whether it's natural disaster, man-made, or medical events uh, inside that company. Good <clears> shit. <throat> um, yeah. So, yeah, anybody listening, uh, if you want to further your education on uh, any type of crisis management or, or security protocols, uh, we will have and post all of the links to all of Clint's products, uh, where you can find him, all of his social media, all that that jazz on our, uh, on our channel. Um, Last but not least, uh, Clint and I are going to strip down, uh, lube up in maple oh, yeah, maple syrup, part. and we're going to Indian leg wrestle here. Uh, that <laughs> is going to be on the video version. Uh, no, but uh, so that that uh, essentially wraps up the first podcast. What I would uh, encourage, you know what, fuck it, I'm not encouraging. I'm, I'm telling everybody, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to go to MikeRitland.com. Uh, I want you to like, subscribe to the podcast, rate it. Uh, and if you have three minutes uh skip checking your facebook profile with a bunch of useless political bullshit on there and, and go ahead and leave a review uh, about uh, about today's podcast and uh, all subsequent podcasts so uh, we're going to be dropping these on a regular basis uh we're going to have good shit just like we had today and uh i thank you all for joining me most importantly i want to thank my brother clint emerson for uh, taking time out of his busy schedule I uh, love you, brother. Always good to, to have you here, and uh, we'll damn sure have you back soon, and uh, appreciate you coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a good thing. I'm happy to be part of the first one, and uh, it's an honor you asking me. Uh, I kind of feel tingly inside. It ain't the first time you pop cherries, so <laughs> but it's, it's an honor to have it, yeah. have it done. No, so. it's all good, man. Thank you very much. All right, that's a wrap. We'll see you next time. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.